The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston. It is wonderful to be with you all again for this episode as we continue to explore the church's evangelizing mission. And today we're going to look at this mission through the lens of healing. And to help us do that, I am joined by Sister Miriam James Heidland, who has spoken extensively across the country on topics of forgiveness and healing and conversion. Her own story is a powerful example of how the Holy Spirit can really turn a life upside down and in doing so actually help turn it right side up again. And near the start of our conversation, Sister Miriam emphasizes that she, like everyone else, is still a work in progress. Conversion is still happening. The same way that a person who is in love keeps growing in that love, there's always something more to discover in the person that we love. And it's no different with Christ, who wants to share everything, including His whole heart, with us. So I want to pick up with this theme of conversion before uh, running the interview, and to do that, I'm going to turn to an address that Pope Francis gave in Advent of 2015. And this one stood out because it builds up to this beautiful connection between conversion and evangelization. He begins with this question, why do we have to convert? Conversion is about an atheist who becomes a believer or a sinner who becomes just. But we don't need it. We are already Christians, so we are okay. But this isn't true. In thinking like this, we don't realize that it is precisely because of this presumption that we are Christians, that everyone is good, that we're okay, that we must convert from the supposition that things are fine as they are and we don't need any kind of conversion. But let us ask ourselves, Is it true that in the various situations and circumstances of life, we have within us the same feelings that Jesus has? Is it true that we feel as Christ feels? For example, when we suffer some wrongdoing or some insult, do we manage to react without animosity and to forgive from the heart those who apologize to us? When we are called to share joys or sorrows, do we know how to sincerely weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice? When we should express our faith, do we know how to do it with courage and simplicity, without being ashamed of the gospel? Thus, we can ask ourselves so many questions. We're not all right. We must always convert and have the sentiments that Jesus had. The voice of the Baptist still cries in the deserts of humanity today. And what are today's deserts? Closed minds and hardened hearts. And his voice causes to ask ourselves if we are actually following the right path, living a life according to the gospel. Today, as then, he admonishes us with the words of the prophet Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord. It is a pressing invitation to open one's heart and receive the salvation that God offers ceaselessly, almost obstinately, because He wants all of us to be free from the slavery of sin. And salvation is offered to every man and every people without exclusion, to each one of us. 
None of us can say, I'm a saint, I'm perfect, I'm already saved. No, we must always accept this offer of salvation, to go farther on this journey of salvation, this path that Jesus taught us. God wants all of mankind to be saved through Jesus, the one mediator. He concludes, Therefore, each one of us is called to make Jesus known to those who do not yet know him. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, St. Paul declared. If our Lord Jesus has changed our lives, and he changes it every time we go to him, how can we not feel the passion to make him known to those we encounter at work, at school, in our apartment building, in the hospital, in meeting places? If we look around us, we find people who would be willing to begin or begin again a journey of faith were they to encounter Christians in love with Jesus. Shouldn't we and couldn't we be these Christians? I leave you with this question. Am I truly in love with Jesus? Am I convinced that Jesus offers me and gives me salvation? And if I am in love, I have to make him known. But we must be courageous, lay low the mountains of pride and rivalry, fill in the ravines dug by indifference and apathy, make straight the paths of our laziness and our compromises. Again, that comes from an Angelus address that Pope Francis gave during Advent of 2015. It was actually at the beginning of the year of mercy. And, you know, really, it is impossible to speak of conversion if we do not also speak of the amazing mercy of God. So please enjoy my conversation with Sister Miriam as she shares her journey into the healing heart of Jesus Christ and how that experience has brought home the meaning of Pope Benedict XVI's words when he writes that healing is an essential dimension of the apostolic mission and of Christian faith in general. It is a religion of healing. When understood at a sufficiently deep level, this expresses the entire content of redemption. I'm delighted to be joined today by Sister Miriam James Heidland, a member of the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. She travels and speaks extensively around the country on the topics of healing, conversion, and forgiveness. Sister Miriam, um, it's a joy to have you on the show. How are you today? Oh, hi, Miriam. Thank you. I'm doing well. I'm delighted to be here with you. I don't usually get to talk to somebody who has my name too. So <laughs> I know it is fun. It's delightful. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. Well, what a, what a joy to, to have you here. And Sister Miriam, I, I often mention to the guests on the show um, that I imagine I would not be here speaking uh, with you if you had not been evangelized somehow, somewhere along the way. So sister, could you share a bit about how God captured your attention and ultimately your heart? What did that journey look like? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I think that it is something that happened and is something that thankfully still happens (laughs) Uh, even to this very day as we sit here together. And so it's not... uh, So often we talk about conversion or evangelization as something that perhaps in the past, or people often say, well, I converted that, you know, in this year, which is true. We have, all of us have distinct moments of conversion, but like love, love is, um, is something that happens every day that it comes to heal us every day. That's a decision we make every day. And so, yes, I mean, I'm here today really, um, because of authentic love. And it's one of the reasons why I will speak, uh, to the ends of the earth about the power and the healing power of authentic love. And, um, I have wonderful parents who, um, I grew up in just North of Portland, Oregon and in Washington state. So I'm a a Northwest girl. We, you know, wear flannel and we're depressed. We drink coffee. That's what we do there. So (laughs) I live in the great nation of Texas now, but like I, the Northwest will always be my home. 
but my mom and dad love me very much. But my mama, uh, my mom, Agnes is a prayer warrior, like none other. And so I am really here today because of her sacrifice, because of her giving me away to our lady, which I write about in my book. And, um, but I'm here today also because a wonderful, good and holy priest uh, just loved me like a spiritual father. And it was through the witness of his life, the witness of his, um, yeah, the witness of how he loved Jesus, the witness of how Christ just emanated through him. And it was, it was the words that he used. Wow. Uh, certainly he would tell me the truth, whether I wanted to hear it or not. And he would encourage me to what is good, true and beautiful, but backing that up underneath it all was the captivating way in which he loved Christ which was so deeply beautiful and so um, something that was so powerful that I couldn't deny. There are many things in my life at that time in my life I could deny. I was in college and playing division one volleyball and I was an addict and I had all kinds of trauma that was un, undealt with, un, unlooked at, unnamed. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but the power of his love of Jesus, I couldn't, oh, it was so lovely. I couldn't deny it. And it, it transformed my life. I'm sitting here today because a Catholic priest loved Jesus and he invited me into the love of Christ. Wow, sister. And can I ask what, what did that look like when we're looking for ways to imitate Christ and, and be inspired by other people's examples of how they love Jesus Christ? What are you able to put your kind of finger on, on what he actually did to, uh, to follow Christ and to reflect that back to you? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it was his dedication to uh, Christ as a priest, his own interior life. And I really believe more and more um, that's something that we can't fake. I, there's many things in life we can fake. And, and you see the, I do believe at some point, all facades will eventually shatter and, and amen to it. All of us have facades. We all have fig leaves and Jesus loves us so much that he will bring those to shatter. So the truth can come out the goodness of who God is and the truth of that. And something that you cannot fake though, is authentic love of Christ. And when you live in that kind of relationship, because it just, it emanates from a person, it emanates on how they live mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And it was that reality of him being so devoted to Christ and him being such close contact with the love of Jesus. It was, yeah. it was palpable. There are many times when I, I would look at him and I could literally see Jesus Christ looking at me through his wow. eyes. Wow. And, and father did, it was very charismatic and he had many gifts, of the Holy spirit, but it really was, it wasn't even that it was his intense love of Christ. And he wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect, course, yeah. but somebody who deeply loved Christ. And it was captivating to me. And I remember, you know, at one point being, you know, 21 years old, looking at him saying, I don't, if he was just luminous. I'm like, I remember just looking at him saying, I don't know what you've got father. Like, I don't know what that is, but I want that. Like whatever this is, I want it. And uh, he said, you come and see. And that was over 23 years ago. So, yeah. Now, sister, did he introduce you to the community that you're now a part of? Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. He was a member of our community. Got and it. so that's how, so I graduated from college and I was considering I had a degree in communications and I really wanted to work for ESPN. I mean, every now and then I see Aaron Andrews in the 50 yard line. I'm like, Oh girl, come on. <laughs> I, and so, you know, getting a job like that is very hard. You have to start at the very bottom and work your way up. And so I was fully um, willing to just start, maybe get a job in Portland, Oregon and start working my way up. But before I did that, father was like, why don't you come down to our mission in New Mexico? You know, your life is kind of a hot mess. And I am, I'm not a missionary girl. That was never a part. I was just very funny how God is so gracious. <laughs> and so I went down there after I graduated from college and it was quiet. It was silent down there. I'd never done well with silence. I always had to have like music on or something because the silence would reveal things I didn't want to think about. So I would always avoid silence and just avoid kind of anything 
but it was there that I couldn't run for myself anymore. I couldn't. And so much of my own heart just began to come out. And uh, I had, you know, their sisters lived down there, the seminarians lived down there, just being around people that were all about Christ. It was such a radical phenomenon for me. And it was in that time that I heard, I heard Jesus Christ call me to be his bride. I had a distinct moment in my life where I heard the call of God in my life, which made, it it makes sense. It made sense of them, some things that were happening in my heart. And uh, yeah, I said yes to it. And that's, been saying yes to better lesser degrees every day since so yeah oh that's beautiful and so how long have you been um, a member of this community sister i've been a member of the community over 23 years now 23 yeah years now how has your own uh ministry over time kind of changed within the context of this community because i know the work that you do now which is so important have you been doing that for a while or how did that start to uh, take shape sister miriam Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's really true. It truly is something, and I'm not saying it to be pietistical. It is truly something that the Lord has done. To this day, I don't have a website that's personal. I don't have a personal website. I don't have a manager. I don't have yeah. merchandise. I mean, I've, I, it's just like, I, it's yeah, it's just interesting of how the Lord did that. And so, like I said, I majored in communications. And then when I joined religious life, I, it was funny because I thought, gosh, I should have like been a doctor. Like at least I could be useful, you know, and having no idea that the Lord would use the degree that he'd given me for something much you know, greater than sports. I love sports, yeah. but something much better. And so, um, I was sent to our mission in New Mexico. That was my first, assi- or sorry, in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. That was my first assignment. And I was asked to give a talk at a, um, confirmation retreat, which was the first time I'd really given a like talk on anything religious. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, I could probably, I, mean, I could do that, you know? And, and, that was really where it began. And then I coached volleyball at a public high school on a, on a reservation nearby. So people got a lot of mileage out of, Oh, the nuns coaching volleyball. And, and this was <laughs> actually when I got to Seattle. So we started a mission in Seattle in 2004. And so uh, it was there that the local sacred heart radio, you know, they'd heard I was in town and like, Hey, you know, we heard you were, you know, you used to be a volleyball player. Can you tell us your story? And so it was from the, really that one interview where the youth ministers were like, Hey, can you come talk to my youth group? Can you so I used to do a lot of events that were just, largely youth events and then mm-hmm. women's conferences. And then, yeah. but now I do mostly uh, healing retreats with the jump to healing center. We do a lot of priest retreats, healing retreats for priests, yeah. uh, for religious sisters, for lay people. So uh, yeah, it's grown very deep and, and very broad and the, it's truly the Lord's work. He, he wow. will prune it when necessary. He will close doors when necessary. He will open doors. And I, I'm very well aware of the fact it is it is the, the heart of Christ that people want to encounter. And I'm just a, a small imperfect vessel of that. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, thank you so much for this such an important ministry. And you know, uh, a number of times Pope Francis has referred to the church as a field hospital. And yeah. as you kind of survey the landscape in this field hospital, um, have you seen kind of any patterns emerge? Have there been um kind of new wounds that have come up? Like what are people really wrestling with these days? Has it changed over time? Because you've been in this work for a while, um, but what's what's hurting in our heart these days? Mm-hmm. I think for all of us, um, what hurts most in our heart is where love has been broken, hmm. where love has been ruptured. And for all of us, you know, we talk about healing and, and so often we think of healing as fixing mm-hmm. or, you know, it's those people over there. And that's not true. Healing is not fixing and he, true healing. When you look at how Jesus Christ heals, which Pope Benedict says is the entire content of redemption. When Jesus Christ heals, he's always bringing us into two things, wholeness and communion. So wholeness within ourselves and communion with ourselves, God and others, that is always the mark, no matter what kind of healing it is, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, 
whatever that is, it's always ordered toward wholeness and communion. And so all of us have places in our hearts where, where love has been ruptured, where, where love has been broken, where love has either been withheld or withdrawn. And those cause huge breaches in our hearts. And so we develop very, you know, sophisticated self-defense mechanisms to counter against that. Or, and a lot of our sin comes out of our wounds. It, you know, it comes out of the places where we are trying to grasp at love or manipulate love or control it or push it away or, or medicate the wounds. And so it's, it's those places that our hearts have been broken and every single one of us has them. And so Jesus loves us so much that he's going to come to every part of us, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and sexually to bring us into wholeness and communion. And that that's the journey of holiness. That that's, that's what it means is to have a life that looks like Christ's life where he loves, where we love the way he loves. We see others the way he sees others, where we're interacting the way he does. And, and so that's why the journey is arduous and it's humbling and it's beautiful and it's everything we've ever wanted because you know, just to be very honest, I don't, nobody wants to look at porn. Honestly, when you're really, when you're really looking at your heart, nobody wants to have an affair. Nobody wants to look at porn. Nobody wants to be hard hearted or um, barren in that way of like the barren heart or, you know, we don't, we, we settle for those things out of immense amount of brokenness and sorrow and um, self-protection, but nobody, I really do not believe a single person wants to live like that at the heart. All of us want to love well and excellently and we want to be secure, mature, and pure in our love. And and the way we do that is to allow Jesus Christ to come and heal us at the roots every single day. There is no other way through than that. Love it. Now, sister, for those who, uh, and for those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with sister Miriam James Heidland, um, who is a member of the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And sister, uh, for those who are tuning in who um, might have these wounds and are in need of healing, how might you suggest that they start kind of embarking on that journey of healing and they might not know where to start? What would you suggest? Yeah. Well, well, for all of us in these places, I think first of all, like it says in many 12 step groups is just admitting there's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some, and I really believe you don't have to scratch it yourself. Like you don't have, this is not introspection. This is not self-help. This is not five ways to a, bear, a better life. This is, yeah. this is the journey of being known by somebody by God and allowing ourselves to be known and how often we try to wear our fig leaves in front of bed. We're just so lovely. We're just so little. It's just, it's marvelous, you know? So I think really all we have to do is turn to the Holy spirit and just ask the Holy spirit, what are, you know, what are your most pressing symptoms right now? And it might, it might be manifesting in the problem in your marriage or your personal life. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's just areas of deep hard heartedness. Um, maybe it's chronic, like you're mad at your kids all the time and you say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to be mad at my kids anymore. I'm not going to yell at my kids or my spouse or, okay, I'm going to go to mass this Sunday. Like nothing in our life is arbitrary or random. We're, everything we do is actually very strategic. There's a reason why we're doing it. And so just sitting with the Lord and which is often the first step of saying, okay, Lord, what's, you know, is it an, an overwhelming feeling like you're not worthy? that you're not lovable, that you have to hide or be somebody else to be loved. Like those are valuable signposts telling us what we believe about our hearts and about something that has happened to us where these deep lies have taken root. And these are the very places that we think disqualify us from being loved. Mm -hmm. You know, all of us, I think to a certain extent, believe we all have had relationships where you have to be somebody else to be loved. And we're afraid, like, if I share this part of my heart with you, will you abandon me? And we all have that kind of reference reference with God too. And so Mm -hmm. it's the, the places where Jesus comes and he's already there waiting for us, sitting beside us. And he's saying, I want to, I want to just be with you here. I want to encounter you here. Um, St. Julian of Norwich says that when God sees our sin, he sees our pain. Mm -hmm. So he's very interested in the matters of the heart. 
He's very interested in healing our sin and he's very interested in healing what's causing it, healing the matters of the heart that are driving the places where we are destroying ourselves and others, because that's, it's, it's, it just breaks the heart of God. And he, and he wants to bring us into wholeness and communion. Wow. Um, sister, a lot of your focus, I think more recently perhaps has been, um, like healing within the priesthood. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Could you talk to us about that? Um, why is this so critical at this time, um, sort of looking at the restoration and the healing of our priest sister? Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that the healing of our priests, the healing of our bishops, the healing of the presbyterate uh, at large, yeah. for me really is ground zero of restoration of the heart of the church. If you look at any movement in the church, renewal always begins with the healing of the religious life and the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And so, it comes obviously through the lay movement as well, but there's a particular manifestation of the healing of, of a priest because when the father of a family is sick or when the bridegroom is sick, the marriage and the family are going to be sick. And so um, I, I'm, like I said, I'm sitting here today because a very holy, wonderful priest uh, who had his own story loved me very deeply is a wonderful spiritual father. And I know that's from which like the deep, immense grace of the priesthood that John Paul II says the world will always look for the priest because the world is always looking for Christ and priest in their way that God has chosen them and the way their hearts have been marked love. They love in a way that nobody else loves. It's very different than the way I love. I love as a bride. They love as a bridegroom. Their hearts have been configured. They actually have a third ontological mark upon their soul configuring them to the person of Christ. And there's nothing that will ever replace the priest. And if men stop saying yes to the priesthood, our world would cease to exist as we know it. Yeah. And so our heart, especially I work with a John Paul II healing center. We do a lot of healing retreats for priests and just uh, re- renewing them and affirming them in their identity of who they are as, as, as sons, as brothers, as bridegrooms, as fathers of, of the truth of the gift of who they are and helping them to live the fullest extent they can possibly live. Uh, so then the, the church as well, right? So how can we love and support them? And I know it's dear to your heart as well, so that the church can be well and that we can see the face of God more deeply. And that there's just nothing that will replace that. I'm convinced of it. It just burns in my heart more than I could ever possibly express. Yeah. And, and how, sister, how can we participate in that? Like, uh, again, for those who are listening, um, how can we, how can we pray for the healing of, of the priest, of the priesthood? What, what can we do as well? Mm-hmm. Well, we have to pray and fast for our priest. I, it is so easy to criticize them and to, oh gosh. And most of that is, you know, they're people like everybody else. And they, you know, certainly make mistakes at times and are just, yes, we all know that we all do, but just, it's so easy. I think what I find in, in people's in circles is for people to criticize their priest and kind of say everything they're not doing right and all that. But how often do we pray and fast for them? Like how often do we really, because we have no idea the spiritual attack priests are under the enemy. They are public enemy. Number one to Satan because if if Satan can take out a priest, he takes out thousands of people with him and maybe not even taking out his vocation, but just numbing his life, numbing his heart. So he just is a functionary priests are not called to be functionaries They're They live with the heart of Jesus Christ. They have the power to raise the dead. I just, their, their vocations are stunning and we must support them. We must speak the truth to them in love. We invite them over to your house so they can, you know, have dinner with your family. They can be people, encourage them, affirm them. Um, you know, like, yeah, if you have, if they've done something that just t- speak the truth to them in love, but pray and fast for them, my goodness. And our bishops, like we have to do that because we have no idea what they bear. And 
that criticism and complaining and the endless gossip, like never, all of that is, is do is destroy. Like if yeah. offer novenas for them, pray and fast for them and love them well, love them excellently and help them become the men God is calling them to be. We, we need each other. We have to do it together. Beautiful. You know, sister, I, I often ask the guests, we have a, a few minutes left and I, I love to hear, cause there's, there's a lot of tough news out there. And so yeah. I love to hear stories and signs of hope. What have you seen recently that you can share with us? Just some, again, some stories of hope. Of I have the, just the distinct privilege of, of seeing the Holy Spirit move across the nation. Yeah. And just because of the, the way that um, I share my own story, I hear people's stories all the time, like all the time, the deep, dark stuff of life. I, I have a privilege of having the holy ground just to listen to in people's hearts. And I, I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is alive and well. And that he is bringing us into wholeness and communion. And no matter what you are facing, dear listener, right now in your life, whether it's in your marriage, your personal life with your kids, your grandkids at work, that there is, this is not the end of the story. That Jesus Christ is alive and well, and he wants to bring us today into wholeness and communion, that nobody is ever beyond hope. Nobody is ever beyond prayer, that there's nobody's ever permanently stuck. Like there's always a way because Jesus is always, Jesus is the way. So I just want to encourage people into that. It's so easy for us at times just to kind of, because of the pain to, to harden our hearts or just to say, well, this is good as it's going to get. And that is not true. That is not true. And Christ is always with us. He's already there waiting for us. He loves us so deeply and his desire is to bring us home to his heart and he will never stop pursuing us. Never. Oh, that's, that's just a lovely note to end on, Sister Miriam. Thank you so much uh, for your time today. I just ask that God continue to bless you and your ministry. Thank you so much. It's been delightful to be with you today. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you too. There's a story I often tell when I'm giving workshops and retreats, and it's the story of one of my visits years ago to the Pacific Northwest at Christmas time. And I attended a mass by myself during that trip, and I was feeling pretty under the weather and honestly just really grumpy. But um, it was name badge Sunday at that parish. Um, so someone stopped me as I came in and politely asked if I wanted to fill out a name tag. And my response was a terse, no thank you, I'm just passing through. And I'll never forget what was said to me in return. She said, but you still have a name. And I was taken aback by her reply, but it, it also started to make me feel better because in that moment, she reflected Christ back to me. She didn't want me to simply pass through that community anonymously. And neither does Jesus. He is there reminding us that even in our brokenness, even in our pain and with all of our baggage, we're not anonymous characters on the sidelines. We still have a name. And so often the beginning of healing is remembering that name, remembering who we are and who created us, because then we remember what we're made for. So my prayer for you all this week is that you know this, that you are not passing through this world unknown and unloved but that you were fervently known and loved by God, who, by His passion and death, went to the depths of human suffering, which means He can meet you there on your worst day and tell you, you have not been forgotten or abandoned, and that you can be healed and restored. And what's more, you were made for new life. You were made for resurrection. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and please join me next time as we continue to blaze a trail of faith in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail 
a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon.